Welcome to Your Property Podcast with me and Lyons and my sidekick. Oh God. <laughs> and Howard Owen. So um, we're back again and in, uh, in this edition of the, of, of the podcast we've invited uh, back uh, an old friend of mine, someone I've known in property for a while now and it's been a little while since we caught up so these podcasts are great for me to kind of reconnect with with um people that i admire a lot in property so um i'm going to bring him straight into the call now so uh welcome back jamie medill thank you Ant. thanks for having me great to see you both and thank you for having me here it, it's been uh ages since we we it has far too long we were comparing watches last time, I think, weren't we? Yeah, still that? got it. Still got it go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the property investors are uh, I- I- idiot obsession. One of <laughs> one of the many, I guess. So, um, so Jamie, today's uh, podcast is really about we, what we want to do is reach out to somebody who has not only, I guess, kind of replaced an income in mm. property, um, but then gone on to scale that business up so we're going to try to cover a lot of ground today so initially how you made that transition from i don't know uh, you know receiving a wage receiving a salary or whatever to, to to then replacing that with um something which is and i i smile when i say this slightly more passive yes yeah we all know about that don't we yeah we do <laughs> um and and then what happens after that stage as you sort of continue to grow the business and which bits you are able to take a step away from and and when we were talking offline earlier on the bits which you know when you're starting out the grass is always greener but yeah. when you get there what are the kind of muddy patches i guess so so tell us a little bit for, for people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do um tell us a little bit about i guess sort of your life sort of pre-property and how you kind of came into it or fell into it okay well i had zero experience in property whatsoever i used to have a uh, proper job in inverted commas uh, working up in london i worked in media for 18 years and i used to basically work for big national newspapers and then went digital and then ran a European division uh, for a big multinational company, in effect making money through advertising and sponsorship for that company. So on paper, you know, it was a good job. It had a good income, but um, I didn't have any time. And time was the big thing I was really desperate to try and get back because at that time, this is going back to 2010, 2011, um, I had a gr- younger family than, uh, than now, and I wasn't really around very much. So I used to travel into London, commuting three hours a day, every single day. Um, if I didn't drive, I got the train. The train cost me five grand a year just to get a ticket. And I couldn't get a seat to go to and from work. And then when and I was... And that five grand, you really resent paying as well, because oh. no, no one's enjoying that commute. No, we're all sitting there, bloody miserable, <laughs> listening to music or podcasts or whatever, reading the newspaper, resenting it, and then having to go to work. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I did that for a long time, worked long hours at work. And, and time was the, the really key thing I wanted. So I had a relatively good job. It's all relative. Had a really good, relatively good income. And uh, back in 2010, I kept seeing... Programs on TV, you know, Sarah Beanie and others making, you know, everyone seemed to be making millions in property and how easy it was. So I thought I'd take the plunge and I did some property training and I bought some single let properties and I thought, right, here we go. I can do this. I then gave up my job on Valentine's Day 2012, which wasn't quite 
the present or the announcement my wife was expecting um, because I was really keen to go. My to, present to you is more of my, more yeah. of me. Yeah, how lucky. <laughs> Darling, I love you and I'm going to be here for a lot, lot, lot more time. Uh, gulp, she said. Anyway. so and I uh, take the present back, Jamie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, one of those things. It's, um, the, my naivety was quite extraordinary. I'd come from corporate world where there were lots of people around me doing various roles to help facilitate and support my main job. And then with that na- huge naivety, I then gave that all up and suddenly became a supposed property investor. I had a bit of cash behind me. I bought some single lets. I raised some more money from JB Finance and Loans and, and bought some more single lets. But it was a baptism of fire. Let, and, me, and, let me ask you about your replacing your income with single lets because yeah. I've got, I've got, you know, <laughs> a, a, my fair share and you would have to have a lot, wouldn't you? To have any kind of quality of life. Yeah. And I didn't, no. but I didn't realize that my grand plan was to be all very enthusiastic going to property full time without actually having a proper plan. So in the past, I've always been pretty appalling at numbers. Um, but very enthusiastic and had the knowledge and the, uh, the sort of vision to go and build something bigger. So I started off with single lets. I bought nine single lets and they made a couple hundred quid each. And that was definitely not going to replace my job income. Um, so did you, did you quit your job before you replaced your income? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I had, I had a year of trying to do both and buying those single lets. And uh, that was generally weekends and evenings. Um, so again, working long hours, but I had this mission. So that was 2011. And in early 2012, I then gave up my job and I hadn't replaced my job income. But I thought within maybe three months, I could then get the high levels of income I needed from property. So what I was doing is I was traveling up. I met some contacts in the property community. And I was traveling up and down to uh, up the A1. I live in, um, in Bishop's Stortford, just north of London. And I was traveling up and down the A1 to go and see some contacts I met and friends up in Leeds. And that's where we were buying single let properties because they were cheaper and the yields were better. So then we were, we were finding us getting more deals from our agents and, and our marketing. And then I started selling those deals on to other people. And that was an element of replacing the income quicker. I just want to talk about replacing the income because you know, you were in a fairly senior position and probably earning, you know, well, I'm not going to ask you exactly how much, shall I? No, I won't. <laughs> uh, so, but normally I do. I'm very, very restrained. So, but we've got to be honest and say that, you know, when you've got a family and stuff, you're, whatever you're earning, you, you kind of, ex- your lifestyle expands to soak up that cash. I think sure. that's probably true for almost all of us. Sure. And if we then take a step back and say, well, I'm going to forego that income, trying to curb the lifestyle is pretty much impossible. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I don't know about um, anybody else listening to this, but uh, I love my wife, of course, but there was no way that she wanted to be married to a supposed full-time property investor when all of a sudden our income levels dropped to the floor and our lifestyle changed dramatically. That wasn't part of the deal. So the pressure was definitely on me. And again, slightly naively initially about replacing that income quickly and then expanding on the back of that to keep things all happy at home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's very important. <laughs> very important. And a bit of a struggle for the first 12 months, but you know, we got there in the end. Yeah. Okay. So firstly, loads of enthusiasm, 
not uh, uh, in, not really a plan as such. So how did you create the the plan to say, well, this is how I'm going to do it. You know, this is this is my plan, because actually we'll, we'll have thousands of people who listen to this podcast and read um, the article in the magazine who are probably saying, that's me right now. I've got loads of non-property friends that I know through school, you know, other parents, all the other dads. And I would say that 95% of them would like to do, or think, certainly think they would like to do exactly what you have done. You know, they, they are hating corporate life um, and and want to make the switch. So can you talk through the plan, you know, once you started to build it? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my plan initially was literally trying to buy 20 single out properties to go quite a long way to, in, in fact, replacing my job income. But having actually got into the trenches of doing it, I realized the plan was slightly faulty and would take a hell of a long time. And I wanted something quicker. So I think the first point I learned or realized was the plan had to be relatively flexible because you can go and learn all this stuff. You can read it online strategies you can find training courses but there's nothing quite like the realism that hits you around the head which is you're in the trenches you're doing it and it's different to what you think it's going to be and i certainly found that within the first couple of months of, of trying to build my single let portfolio the same thing happened also when i started to, to amend my plan slightly to set up a sourcing business so i was growing my knowledge locally on the ground in in leeds about uh, the best areas to invest in at that time the sort of returns we can get and the prices to go and buy property. And then I would use my corporate experience and my contacts and basically people who I live, work and like around me down in London and the Southeast to go and talk to them about what I was doing. And that would then bring customers in to go and buy the deals. But also that also wasn't set up properly because again, in hindsight, I was incredibly naive. I didn't have a proper and if I'd have been in corporate life, I, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at this because it would have been done in automatically. But I didn't have a proper contract with myself and my business partners at the time. So we had a, like a gentleman's agreement that this is all going to be great and this is how we'd operate. And as yeah, it happened, but, in, but in corporate life, you would have had a legal team who took care of that and someone to send an email to and that would just have been done for you. It would have been, but also I would have asked for it. And for something, yeah. happen, something happened when I suddenly went into property with this huge naivety and inexperience in property, I thought everyone was lovely and very open, which they are, but I'd almost forgotten some of the fundamentals. And those for me were including picking the right people in your team to work with, making sure there's a real fit there, and then putting a legal framework, shareholders agreement contract in place to protect all parties. So that was a, that was a major mistake. Because so then... What- Oh, sorry. At what point did you realize that this was a mistake? Did something happen that caused you to sort of think, oh God, what have I just done? Or did it just slowly dawn on you? No, I, I, I wish it did slowly dawn on me. It was, uh, it was uh, an external uh, event that happened, which were the two people I was working with up in Leeds suddenly said they had a change of plan and that was it. No longer wanted to do sourcing. So although I'd replaced my income relatively quickly from moving my business plan from buying single lets, then going to sourcing and selling single lets onto other investors. The two people I was reliant on on the ground in Leeds to help do this had a change of heart, which is you know, completely fine. That was entirely up to them to do so. It fitted in with their life plan and goals. But because we had no contract in place, all of a sudden, the, and again, hugely naive on my part, my sourcing income stopped overnight. So I almost had to start again 
um, because of that external event. And sourcing is actually, even without those hiccups, sourcing is quite a tough business, isn't it? Because mm. your buyers change their minds and there's also these kind of, I don't know, because they haven't had to go through the pain of finding the property, whenever there's a sort of speed bump or a hiccup and a baller goes wrong, it, it, it's a surprise to them. You know, hang on, yes. and it, that shouldn't have happened. But um, so I, I always think sourcing is a, it's quite a tough business all round. And you're also sort of trading your time for money and it's a one-off sale, isn't it? I bought a, um, I bought a new car last week and I was sort of in the showroom with the guy and, and I was thinking, God, the second I walk out the door, he's got to find someone else to yeah. sell a car to. You know, it's not like the recurring income theme, is it? Uh, so um, You're absolutely right. And I think one of the things I also, again, realised through, um, again, from a bit of experience, was that my role in this sourcing business was to find investors and find some properties. But actually, the most important part of the whole puzzle is from the investor side, is if they're putting good money into a property that they own, they want to make sure it's been run officially uh, and uh, efficiently rather and um, again they want that passive income that you talked about and right at the very beginning so if you've got no control in the management side of things which I certainly didn't in those days um, I felt incredibly exposed and I was the person I was the front person the face um, going out there talking about investing up in Leeds and therefore I was the first person who would be getting the phone calls or the emails if on the management side of things the boiler broke and the tenants weren't there or whatever so that, that, again, was just from experience, uh, a huge learning point for me. So, so how did so you... Gra- I was going to say, so grand plan number one was no plan. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> grand plan number two, we discovered has got some flaws. And did you have a grand plan number three? <laughs> I did, I did. And, and thankfully, um, I'm obviously a bit of a slow learner, but thankfully, uh, grand plan number three stuck and was able to scale and expand from those experiences from the first two uh, not quite so grand plans. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I'm sort of laughing a lot because I recognise all of it. <laughs> yeah. And I look back, you know, sort of 10 years ago, I think, did I ever really imagine that might have worked? <laughs> yes, I know. I'd say naivety. And I think it's easy to happen. It's easy to happen. We see so much, so many images around us and videos on YouTube and social media uh, of people. It's seemingly easy, but you can do great, really great things in property as your magazine and all of us on this call and probably listening to are doing well too. But it always takes longer. It's slightly harder than you might initially believe. But that's the thing about telly and social media. They sort of, they cut out all the ugly bits so that yes. it makes it look really lovely. It makes yeah. it look like you're having a really yeah. easy life. We're but... all guilty of it. I, sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, there's Facebook sort of things that pop up showing you what you were doing a year ago or two years ago mm. and stuff. And we all, uh, we only ever show like the really cool stuff that's happening. Yeah. And so sometimes I look back on my life, I go, wow, it looks amazing. <laughs> There's no pictures of me emptying the dishwasher. Or yeah. Bins <laughs> yeah, unblocking a loo or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's not living the dream, is it? No, I one of my favourite quotes is um, by Eric Morecambe. And he says, life's not Hollywood, it's Cricklewood. You know, that's the reality. <laughs> Yeah, it's brilliant. And that's, yeah, so, why, that's why I love um, YPN, because you do get the reality from people of all walks of life who are actually doing it, making it succeed, and sharing their experiences. Because I think if you, can, if you can share the things that haven't gone well, that's much more powerful than purely the, this is how to do it. You know, these are the three steps to take to make a million in property. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so grand plan number three, it has stuck, you know, which is great. It has stuck. <laughs> it's adapted, but it's yeah. stuck. Uh, yeah, it, it should adapt. It will always adapt, won't it? But, you know, uh, and sometimes it, it's not until grand plan number 328, did it? Yeah. So, so what, tell us about grand plan number three. So grand plan number three was to try and come away from, as you said, Ant, which was the, um, the sort of monthly churn to try and find new investors who would then pay you sourcing fees to have an element of longer term income. So uh, myself and my new business partner, Steve Mitchell, we had met through uh, Progressive Properties from that community. We wanted to work together. We had completely different skill sets corporately, but we got on well. So the first thing we wanted to do was set up a rent-to-rent business, i.e. managing other people's properties, renting out by the room, running it professionally, and playing to our strengths. And the idea behind that was that we would then get an element of certainty of income. Whatever happens, we'd have a property for, let's just say, three, to five, uh, three, five or seven years. But our customers, our tenants, would be living there for at least six months. So that gave us an element of certainty of income. So that's what we did. That was the plan. And then we set it up the right way. So we had a proper shareholders agreement between the two of us. So we knew exactly what the roles and responsibilities were. We had a non-compete clause, which meant that if we decided to um, finish the business for whatever reason, then neither of us could work in that same area for a year. Um, so again, really Very quite hard. Yeah, well, this, this is it. We swung back, back to what we both knew um, because of what we'd both done independently beforehand. And so yeah, rent to rent. rent at this point, you know how you know how much do you know about rent to rent? Oh well, I did, I did a one day training course, uh, which thought this is going to be easy. You're an expert then. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be absolutely easy. I've got property experience. Uh, I thought it's going to be absolutely straightforward. And of course, like all these things, you can't cover that much on a one day training course. Um, and, and again, it gives you the top line information. So the reality was very very different. So Steve and I got literally stuck in. We found our patch. We started finding properties and um, we've now got 64 uh, rent-to-rent rooms in our key gold mine area, which makes us a really good income. And the best thing is I'm no longer involved day to day. So one of the roles and responsibilities was I would stay out of the business once we set it up and running and literally have oversight in it. And uh, Steve, my business partner, is much more systems and detail and money uh, orientated. We would set up a team together so he can oversee that side of things. So that's how that's worked. And as a, as a, as a direct result of that, we replaced our job incomes relatively quickly uh, within a year of doing that. And on the back of that, we've now used the additional profits from our rent-to-rent business to save up for deposits to go and buy HMOs. And we've now scaled the ownership side of things too. So what's your role in the, uh, in the, in the partnership? A uh, good question. I'm hoping, hoping Um, my role is to um, again have oversight of how it's going how to build the vision and the business and the brand so that's what we've now been all i've been doing and on the back of that we've now run a training and mentoring program to show other people the reality about how to set up their own hmo investments and their own rent to rent businesses okay so let's talk about the first kind of deal or the first couple of deals in rent you know your rent to rent deal so how do you go about finding um the, the, the properties or perhaps more importantly the owners yes um and structuring the deal and how much money realistically these things put in your pocket on, on a monthly basis because i think probably 
we could all put a number on saying, well, this is the point at which I am in inverted commas financially free. You know, mm. this, this covers, um, doesn't necessarily enable me to buy my own version of Necker Island, but it does enable me to have some nice holidays and, you know, pay all the bills and all, all that kind of stuff. So, and for most people, it's going to be somewhere between sort of two and 10 grand or something yeah. like that. Um, so uh, if we break that down into a number of numbers of properties, we can start to create a plan. So what does a, what does a rent to rent deal look like for you or some of those early ones? Um, well, the first one we did was a complete cock up because again, we've got the theory behind it and not the actual practical experience of doing it. Uh, but I'll come on to that in a second. But we were very, very clear. From day one, Steve and I set up our business and we would take on any deal, irrespective of where it came from, if it made us at least £500 net income after every single cost. That's all the bills. That's obviously the landlord's fee. Um, that is the void provision. We saw lots of people you know, running training events or on social media and they would forget things like voids. I, you're always yeah. going to have them. I, I, I've got a few HMOs and... Um... There's always one empty room. There's always one empty room. So, and normally they fall out or something like that a little bit. But I, I don't deal with the management side of it. Yeah. So point the finger of blame. Well, <laughs> yeah, myself. This is the reality behind it. If you scale up your any property business, uh, the more rooms or houses you've got, the more uncertainties are going to be. So how do you mitigate against those risks? So for us to mitigate against the provision of voids, we put away from day one, 8% of the monthly income per property into a savings account. And that's completely covered us for the last four and a half years. Okay, brilliant. So let's, let's, let's talk about deal number one then. And again, enthusiasm yeah. and a plan, but you know, not necessarily enough experience to see some of the holes in the plan in that old adage, you know, you don't know what you, you don't know, do you? Sure. So, um, so what was it and why didn't it quite work out as you had envisaged? Well, thankfully, it did work out, but we, we worked out, um, I worked out that we lost about £7,800 in rent because we tried to cut costs and do everything ourselves. But actually, that property now makes us £36,000 gross income a year anyway. And we've had it now for four and a half years. But so one of the theories was that we'd find a property and then we'd do all the work ourselves because that would be a good learning experience. Um, and it would save us money too. And then we'd rent it out and everyone would come because it'd be a lovely property and we'd make money, you know, easily. But so this was the reality. Steve and I did not want to spend much money at all on the property. We found it from um, a letting agency. They wanted to work with us. They introduced us to a landlord, uh, a chap called Mr. Bat, lovely guy, been in property since the early 1980s, had a big old house. It was an ex-care home that he then rented out. It was only six bedrooms, but it was a three-story property. Uh, he rented that out to students for a couple of years and they completely wrecked it and it had been empty for a year. So the first thing is we've, we spent a lot of time with Mr. Bat to work out uh, what the problems he was experiencing were. Now, this property was unencumbered. It wasn't rented out, therefore wasn't making an income and it was actually falling into a bit of state of disrepair. So we thought, Steve and I, we would take on the responsibility, we'd project manage the refurbishment, we'd get it rented out and rent it out to students, uh, sorry, to, to professionals. And that's what we did. But here's the major learning from property number one. Because we tried to do everything ourselves, it took us 10 weeks. We're not painters and decorators, right? We literally painted, this is six bedrooms, two kitchens, two bathrooms, three-story property, a city room, a dining room, 
two separate loos, miles of skirting boards to paint and gloss paint, 18 doors to paint and gloss paint. We were, we were, we were very quite excited about it in the first couple of days. But after that, we were so fed up with the monotony of painting. So that took us about four, five weeks to paint. Then we put new carpets down. We had to organize all that. And of course, we were, we were footing the bill for some of this stuff too, as well as spending our time. Then we went to Ikea. Steve and I had a car each. We had 10 trips to and from Ikea to buy flat pack furniture. So six double beds, 12 bedside tables, wardrobes, you, you name and, it. And, and who doesn't love building Ikea? Oh my there? God. Well, that, adds, that took us a week. That took us a week to put the bloody furniture together. So it was a, a steep learning curve. So we had a really nice house at the end, but uh, it took 10 weeks from start to finish to get the property rented out. So yeah, crazy. But that property has now made us really good money for the last four and a half years. And we've still got it. And Mr. Bat, our landlord, wants to give us more properties and invest with us. So every cloud has a silver lining. Okay. Well, you know, that's the reality of it, isn't it? And so I'm guessing that things have changed a bit now. And one of the, the first things I would imagine that you uh, actioned was someone else's painting. Yeah. Someone else, is, <laughs> someone else is putting the bloody furniture together. Yeah. Well, the second property that was sourced from the same letting agent, um, she found us another property on uh, St. Michael's Road in Bedford, which is our, one of our key gold bun areas. Um, that was ready in two weeks. We didn't do any of the work. Absolutely nothing. Uh, all we did was we organized the furniture to be delivered, but that was it. All the works was done. It was a, it was a, a very quick uh, refurb, painting and decorating, making it look pretty, rented out, and it made us, whatever it was, 40-odd grand a year in gross income. Okay. And, and you your sort of benchmark was in terms of net income after, after running everything, it needed to make 500 pounds a month. Have you had any properties that sort of dip below that and, 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 or in retrospect, you can see why that happens or, um, uh, you know, or they all, you know, you were pretty careful about each one you took on subsequently. Uh, yeah, pretty careful, but also there's an element of naivety here too, I want to share with you. So, in our one-day training course that we, we attended, we were told that any HMO has to be five or more bedrooms because the profit is in the fifth or the sixth or the seventh room. And nothing um, bigger than, sorry, nothing smaller than that is worth it. So it took us quite a long time because we were relatively careful to hit that 500 pounds benchmark with every single property. So we'd go for the bigger existing HMO properties out there, already licensed properties. So all the works had been done, it was very easy. But because of that, it took us a while to scale because we were ignoring the thousands of terraced houses all around us in Bedford in our gold mine area. So what we've done also now is we're finding smaller properties, three bedroom terraced houses, where we literally convert one of the downstairs rooms at the front of the house, typically was a sitting room, into another bedroom. So those four bedroom properties still make us good cash flow, but not necessarily the 500 pounds net income. And one of our most recent ones is in Bower Street, uh, which I sent you the details for in Bedford. We would have completely discounted this. We ignored these properties for the first maybe three years of our rent-to-rent -rent operation. But subsequently, we've been taking these on board. We spent just over £1,000, £1,088 on that property, which was basically paying for the painting and the decorating and putting in a, an extra fire door in the downstairs um, uh, front room. And now that makes us... Uh, 458 pounds, 27 pence net cash flow a month. So below our benchmark, but very easy to do, very quick turnaround, very cheap in effect, in reality to rent out. 
And uh, again, it, it's, it's there or thereabouts. And of course, that number also includes our void provision of 155 quid. So if we don't have that many voids, we're going to go above our benchmark. But even if we have voids, we've saved money and we'll still make at least £458 a month net income. So who deals with the, um, as a landlord myself, uh, one of the things I truly dislike is <laughs> managing properties. Mm. And I've, I've sort of stepped away in a different way. And I've, you know, I've got, I'm in a couple of different areas. So I've got different letting agents managing them. And that's been okay yeah. as an experience. Okay, a bit mixed, um, but generally pretty good. So I'm making the assumption that you don't love dealing with the calls when things go wrong. Um, and one of the smartest things we can do in a business is to put other people into those positions who are good at them and, and, and enjoy it. So who, how did you deal with the ongoing management? Or are you still taking the phone calls that the tap's leaking and the, you know, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't taken a tenant phone call since uh, 2000 and uh, early 14. Um, we, we, Steve and I made a decision. Now, Steve's corporate background, he's my business partner on the rental rents and HMOs, was um, he used to work for, again, in corporate. Do something called, um, he was a black belt in six. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's all about project management and systemization. That was his corporate role. And Steve is brilliant about working out the most effective way to set up any system in any business. And so we used his experience of how to set up and run our rent-to-rent business from day one, where we do the minimum amount of input ourselves. Um, so we used a couple of things. One was technology. We used free technology in most cases to help us systemize and run the business day-to-day. And secondly, again, we have a mobile phone each. We run our business on those. Um, we have no other staff, but we do have contractors who do the day-to-day running of all of the works in the rent to rent properties. Okay, so who was the person that you, that, that, in, as you grew the team, who, who was, I guess, in, not necessarily employee number one, but contractor number one, and which are the key areas that you kind of replace? Because it's, um, you've got to take that first step to sort of outsourcing, or, or was Steve sort of really pushing for that, saying we have to have someone from day one dealing with that, that's not us. No, Steve was absolutely the opposite. So Steve created all the systems and has honed those over the last four and a half years, but absolutely adamant about not spending money unless the company can afford to do it from cash flow, from profitable cash flow. So any retained profits then can go back to expanding and scaling up our business. So that was his background. He's very good at that. If it had been me by myself, I would have gone gung-ho straight in there, employed all sorts of people, maybe made some mistakes. Um, But Steve was very adamant that the company the business had to support itself. So the first person that Steve uh, contacted was a local cleaner. So Mike the cleaner would go and clean all the properties, all the communal areas and do that every fortnight. What he then also did was create a viewing um, checklist and a weekly house check. And again, Mike would go in, the cleaner would go in regularly around all the properties and make sure that he would literally check all the key areas and all the key steps on that document. And then we use something like Dropbox, where Mike would photograph the document, upload it to Dropbox, Steve would have oversight that the work had been done, and then we knew that the properties were being A, cleaned, and B, if there were any problems, it was flagged up quickly, and C, they'd be checked you know, on, a, on a weekly basis and cleaned on a fortnight basis. So Mike was number one. Number two uh, was Barry and Mark. Barry and Mark were the painters and decorators and carpenters. So they would do not only refurbishing properties up front, but they would also do the ongoing maintenance. 
So if Mike the Cleaner saw something needed fixing, one of our key focuses of our business is excellent um, customer service. So we want to get it fixed literally within one or two days because we've found on the back of that that our customers stay with us you know, for a really, really long time. So Mark and Barry, one or other would go out to a property, fix it, repair it, and then we'd, we'd carry on and we'd then communicate that back to the customer. Then we, um, we've actually outsourced quite a lot of our marketing. So our direct marketing, our landlord letters is outsourced now, and we have a company for that. And we also outsource some of the social media marketing and spare room advertising, again, uh, to another person. So we've outsourced all those functions. So that's the marketing side and the maintenance side. And the, 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 the latest person we've employed is Courtney. And Courtney is Mark's daughter. And she is a, a property manager. And she works a couple of hours um, a week for us, as and when she needs to, to go in and check all the processes are working properly, all the houses are being looked after, make sure the customers are happy. And that works incredibly well. So our, our core power team are literally painter, decorator, carpenter, um, Courtney, property manager, and Mike, the cleaner. We've replaced Mike. Mike's now become Monica, but that's another story. No. Uh, but that's our core team. Still the same person? Or? <laughs> yeah, a different person. I, I know, yeah. Different, I'm not going to say anything else. No, no. a different person. Um, and then we've got a wider team. So, you know, locksmiths and, and uh, window cleaners and gardeners and all the rest of it. But the core team grew organically over time once the business had the retained profit would then be able to pay for it. But the key is the system, having the system in place to, so everyone knows what they're doing and, and when they should be doing it. And who, who goes out and meets the, um, the owner and does the deal and shakes the hand and all that kind of stuff? Is that, is, is that still you? That's me. That's me. Okay. So we find, our, we find all, our, all of our HMOs. We have a business called the HMO Company. And we find um, all of our properties either from landlords directly, from sending out landlord letters, to the HMO landlord list in the area, uh, and then talking about our proposition and how we can help them. And then obviously, secondly, via letting agents. And that's been really good. Probably 75% of all of our rooms have been found from letting agents. Okay. We um, were talking a bit offline. Sorry, Anne. We were talking a bit offline. You were talking about planning. Um, have you had any houses come through your, come your way uh, which need, you know, I don't know if you live in an Article 4 area, but have you had anything where you need to, um, do anything planning wise that wasn't already done before by the landlord? Um, only in one. So I sent you details of a, uh, a property called uh, Kim Bolton Road up in Bedford, which again was found via our friendly letting agent. Uh, this was a, it was a seven bedroom property. It's worth like two and a half million quid, right in the center of Bedford, a big old property. And the landlord was trying to rent that out to a family for four grand a month. Now, there's not much demand for paying four grand from a massive great house in the centre of Bedford. Um, and also it was slightly run down. So we, we got the licence for it uh, in the first year with him. We've had this now for a couple of years. And um, that was for seven people because that was relatively easy to get through. So we did planning on that. And then we worked with our planning consultant in the last few months to actually increase that to have eight people on the licence. So there's a bit of toing and froing. We had to get planning permission for that and then obviously change the uh, license accordingly. But that's now been done and that ma now makes us um, £1,300 net income a month. So again, that was the only really thing on the, on the rent to rents. But one thing we, Steve we, and I have also been doing with our other business partner, Alex, is buying more properties. So, and therefore there's, there's planning that's come into play there. So we've now got um, 30 properties ourselves that we own 
uh, and run and manage ourselves um, up in Coventry. And we've had planning for the bigger properties there we have to go through. Okay. And um, for anyone who's, and we were talking about this earlier on as well, that, you know, the grass is always greener, isn't it? So in corporate yeah. life, you know, being a full-time property investor, that was, the grass was greener then. And then you get there and initially the reality is different. And yeah. you are now sort of very much where you wanted to be probably five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, but we're never content as human beings, are we? I just think it's the way we're built that, you know, we always, most, many of us certainly, you know, if we're in property anyway, we, we aspire to more. So when you look around now, what is different to how you had envisaged it, you know, so where the grass was maybe greener, which are the sort of muddy patches, which are the bits that, you know, aren't quite as glamorous or as cool or brilliant as you were hoping they would be. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the key things I've realized is that I can't do everything myself. And I proved that to myself pretty dramatically from day one of being a, a, a full-time property investor. And I knew I had to work with other people. So one of the, one of the big realizations was having to work with other people to do the things that I'm a rubbish at or B don't want to do or can't do. Um, so that was the key thing for me. I had had this great vision that I would build a massive property portfolio. I'd be doing it all by myself uh, when I left corporate life, but that's just not really the reality. And also if I was honest with myself, it's not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to have an element of time back and that, you know, that, that passive income we talked about earlier. So that's one of the key things. I think from a, from a, a grass is always greener perspective, it's so dangerous to compare your progress with everybody else's seeming progress elsewhere. Whether it's true or not, we can't help compare ourselves. And one of the things I like to do for myself uh, and Steve, but also with our, our, our mentoring and training clients, is having that stock check every six months. Where have we gone? What did we have? And are we you know, hitting the targets we want? Because it's not just about the money. Everyone focuses about money, but it's the lifestyle, hopefully, that that property income or business can give you that I think is, is much more important. And, and if you successfully manage to achieve that, then so do you now have kind of more family time, less yeah. commute time, you know, it, one of the things that definitely happens, I think is you start to enjoy what we do a bit more. So we actually don't mind working those hours, whereas we used to resent them. So I guess it's sometimes difficult to call Wallace uh, quantify, but, are you happier now than, you know, pre-property days? Yes, definitely, because I'm now in control. I wasn't in control of the time I spent, uh, the money I made from my company or the income I made myself in corporate life. I've now got choices. And I think that's, the, that's one of the most liberating things to realize actually you are in control of what happens to yourself and your family because you're doing this stuff. And as you say, it doesn't become a job anymore. If you really love it, it is more of a passion. And I've realized that the less I spend day to day on the property business itself, and the more I spend with the people to help other people do it, I love teaching and training. That's my absolute passion. I love seeing the results that other people get. That is my thing now. And, and as you said, it. So I just lost you there for a second. I might get you just to say that bit again. So sorry, okay. your audio. So yeah. um, you were saying that, you know, the bit you really love is, the, is teaching other people and seeing their results. Yeah, literally taking them by the hand and showing them what to do and, and answering questions, seeing the results they get so they can get whatever it is they need. It's, it always starts off at money, but it ends up being about time, freedom, choices, 
good causes, holidays, whatever it may be. It's always more than the money itself. And that's, that's the bit I find really rewarding. Okay. So, and for people who are coming in and maybe training with you or, or with other people now um, to learn about rent to rent and then eventual HMO ownership and growing a portfolio, what do you think are the biggest pitfalls, the biggest potential hurdles that they're going to run into um, that you, you've run into? So, you know, I guess the, the top bits of advice you would give to say, don't they make these mistakes because I've made them. Yeah, absolutely. Don't do it all yourself. <laughs> this would be your absolute number one tip I'd give anybody in any business, irrespective of the strategy. But don't try and do everything yourself because I guarantee you'll make mistakes. They will be costly mistakes. Your progress will be, will be slower and you won't really enjoy part of the journey. It'll be painful. Uh, so that's the first thing. Work with other people who can do the bits you don't want to Okay. And it, um, oh, sorry, we lost you again for a second. Sorry, Andy, you go. I was going to say, it, it, the, um, as rent to rent, as it's obviously your initial sort of chosen strategy, where do you see your business going now? So, what's the. Oh, that was my question. <laughs> <laughs> you always ask that when I. Know. I know, that's my favourite question. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, rent to rent was always a means to an end, and it was always a means of setting up a lettings business that gave us an element of sturdy income. So that's been done. So, and that will always be uh, running and uh, being run by other people. That gives us that income. The key thing for us going forward is to increase our property wealth from buying uh, properties, HMOs ourselves and converting those. And again, we've got 30 of these now up in Coventry. That is a key focus for us, for us and for other investors. And then on the back of that, We've used all the experiences and the, the knowledge that Steve's got in systems too in our rent-to-rent -rent business in Bedford, and we've created a letting agency using those exactly the same systems um, in Coventry. So that's where we're going. That's the, the property uh, development uh, side of things. And from the trading side, this is my absolute passion. Uh, I want to help as many people as possible understand the practical realities and the steps they can take in either rent-to-rent -rent or HMO so they can do it for themselves. Okay. And um, the, the other thing I was going to ask about is, is, is there an end game in this for you? So can you see a point where you say, okay, once we've got 100, 200 properties, that's it. I'm retiring. I'm done. Um, because I, I kind of have swings and roundabouts myself about it. Some days I'm like, well, why would I ever retire? This is great. Yeah. And other days I think I'm I'm willing to hang up the hat. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think it's very easy to go, I want a thousand properties. I want to have a you know, huge portfolio. But the reality is there are challenges with properties as you scale it up. So I want to have, I'm not quite sure what the number is yet. I haven't got that plan yet. I want to have a number of very good quality, high-end HMOs, completely paid down and unencumbered, and then get my time back and focus more of my time on teaching and training other people because that is the bit I love. So I don't want to have, you know, thousands of properties now. I'd be very happy with, I don't know, 50 properties, all unencumbered, all paid down, that gives me security for my family going forward. And when I spend my time not acquiring more properties, but focusing on training, helping and supporting other people do something similar. Okay, fantastic. And, but it might change. Um, yeah, <laughs> probably, you know, well, I don't know, that seems quite a, 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 you know, a nice one to aim at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how do you, I always ask people this when we're, we're on the call, how do you 
deal with juggling the the, the work-life balance, okay? Because um, I'm always really honest about this. And I always think, you know, between the magazine business and my portfolio and the development deals that we do and, and family life, yeah. I always feel like I'm doing all of it not that well. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you cope with with that stretch or those pulls on your time? Uh, definitely about delegation. So again, Steve is brilliant at this. Uh, my other business partner, Alex, too. We are very good at working out who can do what with the time constraints they have. And if we can't do it ourselves, we don't want to spend the time, who else can we get to do it? And I also think being realistic about what you can get done in any one day is quite good, too. I'm not one of these people who can get up at 4.30 in the morning, go oh, to the no, gym. those people are the worst, aren't oh, they? Oh, I tried They always it. post it on Facebook as well. <laughs> they got to brag about it. I, I, I always hope that none of them are actually doing it. They're well, posting <laughs> lying in bed. Yeah, be the rest. I tried it for a while. I tried the six o'clock gym club and I couldn't find a hashtag that could relate to that. But I did six o'clock every morning and that was cool. But I'd be absolutely knackered by eight o'clock at night. I had to go to bed. So <laughs> I think, again, I'm getting a bit older there. But I think the reality is you can't do everything. You can work yourself incredibly hard into the bone and have that real pressure on yourself, as that aunt you were saying, about trying to do everything and not doing it necessarily quite well. Or you can focus about why you are doing this. For me, it's time with my family, whether they like it or not. So, <laughs> so um, I spend more of my time with them. And I could work harder and longer hours if I wanted to, but it's actually not going to give me the quality of life I want. Have I got the life work balance right? No, never have. But it's certainly better now than it has ever been, certainly in corporate life. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, um, as we, I, what we tend to do, uh, following on from the podcast interview is Harold uh, will liaise with you and get all the details about the case studies and get that all worked and stuff. And then um, if you are listening to this podcast, you will be able to go online to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. That's forward slash stuff. And you'll be able to download this full article um, with all the case study bits and pieces in it as well. And um, you get to see uh, pictures of all the properties and the full financial breakdowns and stuff. Um, and if people are listening to this and they want to find out a little bit more about you, Janie, is there a way for them to kind of reach out and make contact? Yeah, a couple of ways. Uh, thank you, Matt. A couple of ways. One is to go to our website, thehmocompany.co.uk. Or you can get me on Facebook, Jamie Medill HMO. Okay, fantastic. So um, we're going to kind of draw this one to a close. That's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege. Uh, you know, one, once again, I really, really like doing these. They're kind of quite informal ways to sort of talk about the very real realities of, of property investment and development. And it's quite a nice way to um, cut through some of the bullshit that gets yeah. spoken about. Yeah. This is the real stuff, the reality. It is the I real stuff. I think it's stuff. so important as well, so that people starting out, they don't feel quite as alone with what they're going through. They yeah. know that other people have gone through it. And I just think, you know, having, listening to somebody who else has done that is. I, the bit I like, is, <laughs> the other bit that I like, and uh, is that we, we see the very human face of property investing as well. Yeah. So instead of it being a sort of corporate image of, you know, everything's perfect, it's, you know what, we're just ordinary people and we mess yeah. up and we get it wrong. And that's, that's fine as well. So, um, yeah, I agree. We all make mistakes. Hopefully you learn from them quicker. If you can, if you can learn from other people without making yourself even better, but I should say we're all human and this stuff is, it's hopefully we're all in this for the medium to long term, uh, rather than trying to make a million quid overnight. 
you know, are we not doing oh, that? Oh. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, don't want to disappoint you. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> it's possible, it just takes time. Absolutely. Well, uh, on that note, Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege connecting once again, and we'll let's not leave it so long next time. Yeah, great to see you both. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. You can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe to our podcast.